Welcome to another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. It is great to have you with us as we move through this holiday season. We'll talk about some hoops coming up in just a little bit. Bob Valvano, who is a uh, terrific radio and TV analyst up in Louisville, he's going to be joining us shortly, so uh, we'll check in with Bob coming up in just a moment. Alongside Chris Dorch, I'm Kevin Ingram. Chris, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, man. I've, I've watched a ton of games. Saturday was just like a marathon of games. And it ended with a bang. Uh, that Alabama-Houston game was one for the ages. It really was. And uh, Alabama's becoming one of the big stories of this early part of the season. They won 83-82 in that game against the Cougars. A game with a controversial finish. J.D. Davison had that put-back dunk with 33 seconds, just rose up out of nowhere and threw it down. But then the stop in the final seconds as the horn sounded, Kelvin Sampson in Houston, they really thought it was goaltending on that putback attempt that Davison swatted out of bounds. I thought it was really hard to tell. I saw it from several different angles. What did you see on a play that was really close? Well, at, at first, and, you know, let me say that officials have it extremely difficult to call a bang-bang play like that, especially for it to d- determine the outcome. But – after I watched it a couple of times, I really th- did not think it was goaltending. I did not think it was in the cylinder, nor was it headed downward. So it was a great play. Uh, and plus, the, the officials didn't call it, so they couldn't review it. That's what I don't think even Coach Sampson realized at the time. Yeah. Uh, and, and Jimmy Dykes, uh, our buddy and, and uh, frequent guest on this podcast, called it pretty much right away. He said, I. I don't think if, uh, that they could go back and review it because the call wasn't made on the floor. So, you know, you hate to see something like that. And, and it went kind of crazy. Uh, it was a funny scene where uh, Nate Oates, the Alabama coach, was standing out in midcourt with his hand <laughs> outstretched, you yeah. know, like somebody shake my hand. And uh, uh, Coach Sampson did not. Uh, his son, Kellen Sampson, knocked over a trash can. But – one of their players, which I thought was really classy, uh, picked up the trash, even though people were booing all around him. Uh, I will say that, that Coach Sampson called not only uh, Nate Oates, but he called the Alabama athletic director to apologize. Uh, and furthermore, the SEC office, Mike Eads, the, co- the coordinator of officials, is also the American Athletic Conference uh, coordinator of officials. And they called to tell Coach Oates that the correct call was made. So uh, I think Coach Sampson and Coach Oates are all good. Uh, Coach Oates was really classy about it, said he'd always respected Coach Sampson and even been down to their practice and watch how they do what they do. And But it was a great game. Take nothing away from that. Both teams do what they do. Uh, Houston, unbelievable offensive rebounding team. That's how they hang their hat. And, of course, Alabama, just with that aggressive brand of ball where, where they spray and uh, and attack the rim. And that dunk by J.D. Davison was awesome. It, it really was. I mean, he came up right in the middle of the paint and just, just hammered it down. I mean, he was just up over top of everybody. And, you know, this for Alabama, and that's back-to-back gigantic weekends if you're a Crimson Tide fan. The previous weekend, they beat Georgia in the SEC championship game in football to get into the playoff, and then they beat Gonzaga uh, out in Seattle. And then this weekend, they won the Heisman Trophy and, and beat Houston all in the same evening. So uh, they're, they're having a pretty good couple of weeks down there in Tuscaloosa, to say the least. Roll and, Tide, man. Yeah, exactly. Roll and, Tide. And Alabama's got uh, Me- Memphis next on Tuesday night. Yeah, that, that 
I mean, when it was scheduled, I, I think everybody thought that that might be a good game. And now Memphis is a little bit – you can say they're in disarray. They've lost four in a row. Uh, they altered their lineup and still lost at home uh, to Murray State, which is well coached and obviously a great program that you've seen many times when you worked at Belmont. But, uh, yeah, Memphis is reeling a little bit, and Alabama's going the other way. And, again, we mentioned it last week on the podcast, but uh, Nick Saban, after – Alabama lost to Iona, texted Nate Oates and said, uh, never waste failure. <laughs> and sure enough, uh, uh, they did not. They came away. Uh, I, I think they felt like that they were not sharing the basketball enough. And in Nate Oates' system, you've got to share the ball, uh, especially to the, to the wings where you've got shooters all over the place. Most of the time he's got four and even five three-point shooters on the floor. So – if, if you're not passing, uh, that system's not working. And they ironed it out against Iona, uh, and, and uh, they're really cruising now. I want to ask you about a couple other teams that are playing really well and still unbeaten. Arizona ranked eighth. They're 9-0. They beat Illinois 83-79 on Saturday. The big win over Michigan last month, 80-62, to really got everybody's attention. And then there's Iowa State. Uh, they're 10-0. and uh, They won Sunday against Jackson State, but really – Last week, the big one for them was a 20-point win over Iowa in the uh, Cyhawks series. Uh, they've also beaten Xavier and Memphis in the NIT up in New York. Uh, they, like Arizona, have a first-year coach, T.J. Otzelberger, and both those teams are, are playing really well, Chris. Yeah, I, you know, it, it's funny. So many, so many athletic directors and so many fans want to win the press conference. They want to hire the best coach. Uh, the biggest name coach they can get. Oh, we can throw millions of dollars. Surely they'll come to our school. It's distorted reality. Uh, instead, why not look for great assistance? People forget that Roy Williams was like what they called at that time the, the part-time coach on Dean Smith's staff when Kansas hired him. If you're right, you're right. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're an assistant or if you're coming off a losing season at UNLV like T.J. Otzelberger was. Uh, the deal with him is he's Iowa State through and through. He had coached there. I think his wife went there. He wants to be there. Uh, and they were 2-22 and 22 last year, and now they're 10-0, and 0, ranked number 11th. They're hanging their hat on defense. And as far as Arizona, Tommy Lloyd was an assistant at Gonzaga for 20 years. Wow. Uh, the comparisons to, to, to Roy Williams are apt, I think. Uh, finally, somebody – well, let me take that back. I'm sure Coach Lloyd had some other jobs that he was offered, but he was smart and he was patient. Why leave until you get that 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 gold opportunity? And Arizona was it. And, man, I've enjoyed watching them play, uh, especially uh, Benedict Matherin, uh, who is two-time uh, Pac-12 player of the week. You realize Alabama uh, – Arizona has not had a two-time player of the week since Hassan Adams in 05 and January of 06. The only other Wildcat player to do that was Steve Kerr back in 87. Matherin's just an unbelievable athlete, and I'm pumped because they are coming to Knoxville, and I'm going to go see them play Tennessee. That should be a good one. Certainly a tougher game, I think, than Tennessee might have expected in the preseason. Yeah, Matherin's averaging 18 points and six rebounds, and you look at his shooting percentage, it's really good across the board. So that'll be a fun game for you to go uh, check out up there in Knoxville uh, uh, coming up soon. Baylor's been terrific as well. 
When I saw the 57-36 result against Villanova, I had to look at that one a couple times. There were several low water marks set for for Villanova, including the lowest point (laughs) total with Jay Wright as coach and also the fewest points by an AP top 10 team in the shot clock era. That's amazing to me. It's it's incredible. And one thing I've learned over the years, uh, you cannot underestimate Baylor and Scott Drew. You just cannot do it. I, I mean, you look and, they, and they've had they had massive personnel turnover from their national championship team, and they just keep on rolling. I, I think you know they started out with you know so so well, a weak sort of schedule, but then it started getting tough. They took out a couple of Pac-12 teams in Stanford and Arizona State, beat a good VCU team, beat Michigan State, which is really playing well right now, and then that Villanova game. I I, I mean. To shut down, it's incredible when you think about the high-powered offenses that they shut down. Last year's championship game, they just dominated Gonzaga. And then Villanova, I mean, to hold a Villanova team to 36 points is incredible. And clearly, uh, Scott Drew, always, 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 their team hangs their hat on rebounding, blue-collar stuff, and defense blue-collar stuff, effort stats. So in my book, you're a great coach if you can get your teams, your program to consistently perform effort stats like defense and rebounding. And certainly uh, Baylor is on a roll and well-deserved. I heard a couple of announcer friends uh, told me that they had been talking to some coaches, people that had played Baylor, and those coaches were saying, wow, this team may be as good as the one that won the national wow. championship. That's scary. Yeah, and that team was awesome last season, that team that won it all. Maybe the best finish of the week, I don't think there's any maybe about it, the Rutgers-Purdue game in Piscataway. Ron Harper Jr. hit a 40-footer for the win against then-number-one Purdue. That was the same Rutgers team that had lost by 35 to Illinois. That just shows you how yeah. crazy college basketball is. It's crazy, uh, and – I would not have thought that anybody could beat Purdue, uh, let alone uh, Rutgers, which, like as you said, had been pounded. But uh, Rutgers had never beaten uh, an AP top uh, number one team. So great for college basketball. I I mean, it's why we love the game, man. Uh, And I'll tell you what, I don't bet, and I would never bet, uh, because you just can't – if you live and die by a guy tossing in a – a half court shot. Uh, that's uh, that's too risky for my blood. Yeah, that that's that might not be a very fun way to live. That that's for sure. No. Well, Chris, our guest this week is Bob Valvano. He is a terrific radio and TV analyst. Uh, find him up in Louisville. He does the games with Paul Rogers. Has for years for the Cardinals on ESPN and everywhere else. Bob, how you doing, man? Uh, well, you know that that used to be just a kind of a conversation starter. Now it's a really important question to me, but I'm doing, <laughs> I'm, doing, I'm, doing, I'm doing pretty well. Thank you for asking. Yes, doing That's fine. Awesome, Robert. I, I've I've enjoyed being on your show uh, many times over the years. I always enjoy talking basketball with you. And I I thought a couple of weeks ago, man, I need to return the favor and get you on our show. But uh, before we start, gosh, I'm so happy that. Uh, uh, that that you're doing well. Can you can you tell our our audience a little bit about what you've been through? And uh, I thought I thought you handled it with class and courage because you've always been a a social media maven and you haven't been shy about telling people how things are. 
Well, I appreciate you giving me a chance to do that, especially when we get to the end, you'll know why. But uh, in uh, late March, I was diagnosed with stage four leukemia, which anytime the doctor says that to you, as you can guess, your kind of stomach hits the floor. But to his everlasting credit, he was nothing but positive. He said, no, whatever, whatever your perceptions and concepts are of cancer and leukemia, he said, get them out of your mind. He said, because things are changing every day and stop. Don't don't think about that. Because, you know, what I asked him, honestly, I hope this doesn't sound too macabre. But I said, how do you die from this? Because if this is where we were going, I wanted to be prepared. I mean, I, I didn't want to suddenly get there and say, well, nobody told me I was going to be, you know, uh, go through a phase where I thought I was Abraham Lincoln or something. I don't know. I just wanted to know what the, what was going to happen. So he said, I'm not going we're not talking about that. And he said, we get people in stage four into remission all the time. Okay, wow. so I did everything he told me, and uh, what happened is again to skip skip through the middle part. I got to the first or second week of August, which is basically four months. I think April, May, June, July. Yeah, four months, a little more than four months. And uh, I went in, and we did a full body scan, and there's no sign of cancer anywhere. It's full remission. Wow! So uh, it wow. was in all it was all my lymph nodes. It had started to work its way into the my my bones, and um, there's no there was. Uh, uh, no sign of cancer at all. And the reason I say, okay, now we'll get to the end. And how does that relate to everybody else? Because I had an aunt who died of uh, uh, leukemia. It was gruesome. And that was a long time ago. And th they put me on two drugs. One is an intravenous drug. I take through my little port over here. I don't take it anymore, but I did for four months. And then one is a, uh, a pill, which happens to be right here on my counter. So, so uh, I take those every morning. And uh, that the one drug was not invented until 2015 and the other drug wow. was not invented until 2018. So when wow. people money to research and my brother said in his speech, you know, it may save someone, you know, or someone you love. That's not just talk. That's what research does. The research dollars are saving people's lives. It used to be you heard somebody had cancer and you thought it was a death sentence. You don't anymore. Not only do they live, but you live. I, I, I mean, he said to me, when do you start doing games again? I said, October. He said, we'll have you back for that. This was in oh, March. Man. And I was like, I mean, I love doing games, but I'll be honest with you. I was more concerned about living than doing basketball games. And he said, we'll have you back for doing those games. And he was absolutely right. I haven't, I haven't met, went, went right back to work when Louisville started their season. I've already done four games for ESPN. And, uh, and here's one little kicker to the story, which is kind of sweet. My doctor is named Dr. Khan. He was trained by my brother Jim's cancer doctor at Duke. Wow. So you talk that's, about that's you got a, got an angel on my shoulder, I guess. I don't know. But uh, so I'm doing fine. And thanks for asking. And if you want to help, obviously, there's other places you can do it. But if you want to do it, the V Foundation, it's V.org. And every penny you give goes to goes right to the cancer research. And uh, we're very proud of that. And so uh, thank you for giving me a second to share that with people. No, absolutely. Um, and it's always such a moving week, uh, Coach V week and the foundation. And as you said, uh, uh, it helps people and, and even helped you. But uh, not to get all uh, mystical on you, but did you sort of feel uh, Jim's presence as you battled this? Well, I mean, you know, when when the guy tells you, I just hadn't been feeling right, but I didn't know it was going to be this. So when I walk in, and the guy says you got stage four leukemia. I mean, I, it was I was in a fog. But then, you know, the second visit I went, you make small talk with your doctor. You're trying to get to know each other. And I said, where did you study? And he said, uh, Duke. And I said, oh, really? I said, my brother was at Duke when he had his cancer. He said, yeah, I, I know, know your brother. I said, did you know his doctor, Joe Moore? And he got out of his seat. And he said, Joe Moore, he taught me everything I know about uh, blood cancers. He's the best. He's unbelievable. And at that point, I thought, Hmm, something might be at work here. Yeah. I mean, as somebody <laughs> might have his finger in the, in the, in other people, I don't know who else, but from that point on, I felt very, uh, 
a very, very, I was, I, I know words as much as it was a crisis, I was right where I should be. I got that sense. So yeah, I did feel that. That's awesome. I guess Bob Valvano uh, on, on hoops. What, what do you feel like Louisville season is this year? And how is Noah Locke fit in a guy who is really good uh, during his time in Florida the last couple of years? They are struggling mightily offensively. I mean, I, I, it's, it's, I can't emphasize enough. They did not have a great offense last year, so Chris changed his coaching staff to much bigger. Didn't do it very <laughs> right. Quietly, unfortunately. Um, but he brought in he brought in uh, Ross McMains, who is very much a, a proponent of you know I, I love the, the concept. He wants to spread the floor and, and move the ball, and if cutters can shoot, they didn't shoot it very well last year. He brought in a lot of guys who could really shoot it. Noah being one of them, and um, they don't get it right now. I don't know what they don't get. Uh, it, you know, it's very different, very different than than the way everybody's playing right now. Especially coming out of AAU and a lot of dribble, a lot of ball screens and. Uh, this is supposed to be throw and go and throw and go and keep the middle open and move. And um, I don't think they get it yet. And I think that he's got a lot of new players who are only getting limited minutes and they go in and they want so badly to show the coach that, you know, I can do it. And so they're chasing shots. And so their shooting percentage has just been awful. And Noah, the problem with Noah is exacerbated by, and we, everybody likes him. He's a wonderful kid, but when he doesn't shoot it, he hasn't been doing a whole lot else. Yeah. You know, he's not a guy like uh, who's going to go in and, and get it. Last game he shot, I think, one for nine or something. But then on top of it, he only had – he played a lot of minutes. He only had one rebound. I think he had one assist. You can't be that quiet, and especially the way this team plays. They need to rebound by committee. And if you're going to play with the ball moving a lot, everybody, especially you're in the backcourt, you got to get more than one assist. And so they just – they haven't grasped it. They play tonight, Southeast Louisiana. They really need to play better. There, there's restlessness in the fan base. Of course, I mean, listen, I, I don't want to sound like I'm lecturing, but the fans have lost their minds completely. I mean, they're everywhere. <laughs> I mean, you look, I mean, they, they, pour, they ran poor Mark Turgeon out of town. They're ready yeah. to fire Cal now because he lost at Notre Dame. Now, he's all of a sudden in the village idiot. I mean, it's unbelievable. It really is. So, uh, yeah, so the people are a little restless here. But uh, they – but. I look at them, and the thing that's great, you want to find the silver lining in the cloud? They haven't let up defensively. You know you know what that's like. You guys have been around enough. Guys miss shots, and all of a sudden they hang their head, and they're not guarding. They are guarding. They're defending night in and night out very well, but they can't uh, make a shot right now. They were 6 for 39 the other day from the three-point line. And, uh, you know, I did the game at the Garden in the Jimmy V Classic where I, I think it's me, where poor, poor Rick Barnes's team shot. They were they were under 10 percent for most of the game from mine, the three point line. It was it was unbelievable. So I see a lot of that going on. I don't know why. I literally don't know why. But the three point shooting has been in more often than not a, a poor rather than great. And Louisville's one of those teams, unfortunately. Bob, a lot of people, because you've been such a successful media personality, they don't remember that you are a successful coach too. Uh, how has your coaching background helped you as a, as a media person that deals with college basketball? Well, I appreciate you saying that. I, I coached mostly at the, the smaller. I had four years as a head coach of Division One at St. Francis, but I mean, you know, I'll be candid with you. I mean, we didn't have a fight song there. We had a surrender song. I mean, they were they were two and they were they were they were two they were two and twenty six the year before I got there. And and I and I don't want us to be disrespectful to kids. We got better every year, but we didn't even have a full time assistant. We had no dorms. It was a real challenge. So I coached out of the spotlight. But as my brother Jim told me when I got into coaching, it's kind of like that scene in Hoosiers. Remember, he goes and he measures the basket and he says, "Basket here's ten feet, four is ninety four feet." You know, it was the same thing. Yeah. So to that to that extent, I think I understand a little bit about managing 
players and about you know the the, the personnel and 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 for me I played very much like they played in New York where I grew up with St. John's did. I mean, the great thing, we all love Luke Conoseca, but he used to beat everybody, it seems, 64 to 58. Doesn't matter who they played. They would play St. Francis and win 64 58 or play Georgetown and win 64 58. So, and I played that way. It was very, very controlled the tempo, very defensive oriented. And I went with my brother on a trip to Europe and saw how they were playing in Europe and came back and just scrapped everything. And we set six NCAA records for three point shooting. Now, of course, you know, everybody's shooting a three, but back then it was kind of something new. And so yeah. I understand what the, what you know the concept of what Ross is trying to do about how you got to move spread the floor and move the basketball, and so that helps me I think see that uh, what it is they're trying to do, and that's what I try and do when I'm an analyst. I mean I don't I don't you know it's very nice that, that you bring that up, and I hope you know people will have some respect for the fact that I coach, but I don't think it's important for me to say well here's what I do there. Well, so what you're not coaching this game, so who cares what you're going to do? Why is he doing what he's doing? Tell us that. Why do you think he did that? Why do you think he went to zone there? Why did he put this guy in? What are they trying to do on offense there? Tell. And then I explain that. And then if you think, well, he's an, he's the village idiot for doing it, that's your business. But I can tell you what they're trying to do. And 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 that's always been my philosophy. And, and in this case, uh, you know, especially with with Louisville because of, of the way they're trying to play, I, I I think I have a sense of what he's trying to do. And it's really frustrating for me to watch because they they just aren't getting it yet, and they look terrible on offense. And uh, and people are getting restless. But I try and do that whatever you know that's the value you guys know this when you go to shoot around the day of i mean yeah. jim calhoun said something a long time ago i'll never forget when i was at a coaching clinic he said if i come to your gym and watch you for 15 minutes i should be able to walk out of there and know three things that are absolutely vitally important to your program and i thought wow he said because you only wow. have limited hours even even at division one you've only got so many hours to practice he said why are you practicing something that's seven, you know seventh on your priority list or eighth do the things that you do well master those things nobody does everything well so do the things that you do really really well and i thought that was good and you go to practices and i noticed that that's a good point if i watch i can walk out of there and say all right for these this team you know tom Izzo's team they're going to go to the backboard they're going to try and kill you to get, get every rebound in the game i mean that's who they are that's who they they've always been you you get a sense and you get a sense if they're not doing that well you try and figure out why what's he do because you know that that if he's going to make a change that's what he's going to be looking at so it helps me in, in that regard but to uh to to have been a coach because i went to all those clinics and knew, knew what some of those decisions were like when you're on the bench bob one more before we let you go now I, I lived in louisville when i was a kid like late 70s early 80s i, I listened to your guy paul rogers on whas a half for years he's awesome but also I, I loved going to freedom hall and i was talking to somebody about this the other day now the yum center looks super nice i've not been there but the old freedom hall to me is one of the greatest places ever where would you place that old barn out there at the fairgrounds some of the places you've been to watch college hoops well I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, at NC State, where Kevin Keats is now, they play one game a year. It's called the Heritage Classic, yep. and they play it at, at what used to be Reynolds Coliseum, and now I'm yeah. I'm humbled to say it's Jim Valvano, I don't know, court or arena or something, the same day as my brother. And I said, you know, everybody should do that. Everybody should do that. They should play one game in their old place because, like, way going way back when Thad Mata was at uh, Ohio State and John Saunders, may rest in peace, they put us on the NIT games. Ohio State was in the NIT. 
and they sent us to do the first round game. And this is back when, you know, it was kind of before the NCAA took it over, it was a little bit like the Wild West. You didn't know who was going to play in the next round. You didn't know where <laughs> right. they were going to play. Well, well, they won, and then they played uh, a second game, and, and they, 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 they were going to host it. So Bristol called us and said, why don't you guys just stay there and do the next game? And so we stayed, and then they won again. And they, they said, why don't you stay there and do the third game? And we said, okay, great. Well, those games were all played in St. John's because uh-huh. there was like a, a circus or an ice show or something in, in their big new arena. And that was fantastic. I mean, the fans, you know, you had the real fans there because it was the, the fans that really live and die with the program. They were buying the seats right around the court. And, uh, you know, I, I love doing the games at Freedom Hall. It, it, it didn't get obsolete in terms of a playing facility. It really didn't. In fact, my good friend Scott Davenport at Bellarmine University, that's their home court. Now. Right. They use it for their home court. And uh, I, I just I always thought there were really good sight lines in there. It was great for broadcasters. It was it was it's just that, you know, it was owned by the state and uh, Louisville couldn't get dates in the early part of the season. I mean, that's why if you go back, you know, you guys are historians. Look at poor Denny Crumb's schedule the first month. He was at this place, at that place, at yeah. that place, because right. the tractor show was in town. He couldn't get in there <laughs> for two weeks. So, you know, they, they had to get their own place. And I understand that. But I'm 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 in agreement with you. It's a wonderful place. And when I was a kid, I mean, I'm an I'm an old ABA fan. I mean, I grew Me up too. watching the, the, the Nets play on Long Island and the Colonels were terrific and they played, they won their championship there. And I mean, that team takes a backseat to none with Louis Dampier and Artis Gilmore yeah. and Dan Issel. And oh my goodness, those guys were fantastic. So uh, I'd see it on TV and think, well, someday, I didn't know someday I'd be broadcasting right. from there, but it was a lot of fun when I got a chance to. Yeah, I, I went cool. to a Colonels game when I was a kid. That was the first sporting event I ever went to. And I'm sure oh, all, the, wow. all those guys played. And I remember seeing Muhammad Ali there and it, it, was, it was a neat experience for, for a little guy. Bob, thank you so much for the time. So happy you're doing well with your health and all the best going forward. Really appreciate it this morning. Guys, anytime. It's a pleasure. And Chris, look forward to Well, you're both welcome to come back on my show. It's a home and home. You know, we'll yeah, we'll do, do a home and home. That's right. Contract. All right, that guys. Sounds thanks great. very much. Thank appreciate you. Take it. care, Robert. That was Bob Valvano, a uh, terrific basketball analyst, uh, lives up in Louisville, does the Cardinals games with, with Paul Rogers, who, who I've admired for years. I, I've always thought that guy was just one of the best broadcasters. He, he you know, stayed home. I mean, he, he was at WHES for years. He waited a long time, too, to, uh, to get that job as a play-by-play voice. And uh, Paul and Bob do a great job on those games. I always love uh, listening when I can. But uh, you admire Bob for his, his cancer battle, too. And I know, uh, he, you know his brother, obviously, was Jim Valvano and, and – you kind of see that whole connection with Dick Vitale and Dick Vitale for years has been such a proponent for the Jimmy V foundation. And now he's getting the love back during his own cancer battle. So it's, you know, it's neat to see people uh, get that kind of support. And I I know you and I have both uh, had family members go through that. And when you see somebody have success in in battling cancer, it makes you feel good and and you root for those victories. So uh, happy for Bob and, and hopefully, as we said, a continued good health for him. Yeah, he's such a great guy, and I, I guess it just runs in the family, that personality and uh-huh. ebullience that, that he and Jimmy share, and, and obviously both good coaches, too. Yeah, and I, I love what he said about when I asked him a question about Freedom Hall. He's talking about Reynolds Coliseum. They've redone that place. It's really cool, and I, I went in there before they, they redid it. We practiced there one time when we were over in the, in the Raleigh area with Belmont, and, and I, I knew the history of that building and you know what all went on there with some of those great NC State teams. They, they won two national championships during the time they played there, so uh, that's a neat old barn. And I, I'm with him. I, I think I think programs 
should, if they have an old traditional arena, maybe go back there and play a game every year. He was talking about Ohio State playing at St. John's and uh, they're in Columbus. And I remember one year Kentucky played an NIT game at Memorial Coliseum, uh, their, their old home. I think it was against UNLV a few years back, and they had a big crowd and it was loud and all those things. I, I think that's a neat idea and uh, maybe something that programs should consider. Uh, I, I guess a couple things to finish up here. On a happy note, uh, I, I will be making, hopefully on Sunday, my family and I are going to make the long journey out to Honolulu. Vanderbilt's playing in the uh, Diamond Head Tournament in Hawaii over the uh, the Christmas week. And so uh, we're making the trip out there. I don't know how it's going to go, but uh, looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. It will be my 46th state, so I'll, I'll have four more to go after that. I'll have, uh, knocked awesome. out, I'll have knocked out the two hard ones. I'll have been to Alaska and Hawaii, both for basketball, which is the, the best reason to go with those places. So uh, looking forward to that. should be fun and uh, experience some, uh, a new place and uh, some new culture. So uh, uh, really looking forward to the trip out to Hawaii this coming week. Well, I hope you bring me a souvenir, man. Uh, but, uh, which States do you, will you lack after that? I'm curious. Uh, it's the ones across the top. I've not been to, uh, Idaho or Montana or North Dakota, and I've not been to New Mexico. Those are the ones that I have left. And so, uh, those, if you live in Tennessee, those aren't necessarily easy ones to get either. So maybe I'll hold out and wait for some basketball trips. Uh, well, I'll trade you my New Mexico for your Hawaii. Okay. All right. We'll do that. <laughs> I've been to Santa Fe. It, it's awesome out there. Different, but awesome. Yeah, a couple of States to be named later. Uh, that'll be coming up. We'll have games, uh, Vanderbilt games on the 22nd, the 23rd and the 24th fifth and then we'll be uh, heading on back home the day after christmas so uh yeah it should be a, a it'll be a different christmas for the ingram family in in 2021 oh, good safe travels i hope you all enjoy it out yeah there. i appreciate that uh on a more somber note thoughts to uh, all the folks who had tornado damage uh there's been tremendous loss of life uh some here in tennessee certainly a lot up in kentucky uh, boy, the, the the town of Mayfield, Kentucky, over in the, the western corner of the state, just basically got wiped off the map, and it's just heartbreaking to to see. Uh, my hometown of Bowling Green has had lots of damage. Uh, lots of my friends have, in, in some form or another, have had damage to their homes. I know quite a few people, uh, more than a dozen, were, were killed there too. Uh, I, I saw a photo this morning of my grandparents' old house where they lived for for fifty years. Uh, it had some damage. It, it took sort of a glancing blow from from the tornado. It went. I knew it had gone close by where they lived. I wasn't sure how bad it was, uh, but gosh, just the the uh, the photos and videos you see of those places is really hard to see. And it, it went all the way up. There there's several different tornadoes. The one that hit Mayfield went all the way up through the western part of the state, and then a different one hit Bowling Green. And, and there there are several that hit around this area here in Nashville. Uh, Hendersonville and Dixon and uh, Kingston Springs, uh, several places around here have suffered some pretty bad damage. So I uh, just want to make sure we, we send out good thoughts to all those folks who are cleaning up and uh, help out if you can. I know the Red Cross and, and others uh, certainly do a great job in, in collecting the resources that it takes to try to help people get back on their feet. Absolutely. My heart goes out to each and every one of them. Uh, I our our home and our neighborhood and an area got hit by a tornado on Easter Sunday in, in 2020. So I know exactly what they're going through and you can still see the damage to this day as I drive, oh, yeah. you know, anywhere mm-hmm. broken trees and stuff. And it's just, it's staggering the power of those storms. And I really hope we can call back whatever it is we've unleashed weather wise. Uh, there hasn't been a storm uh, that affected, uh, uh, that had this much effect in December since 1953. So yeah. uh, very frightening. And 
I feel for the good people of Kentucky, obviously great basketball fans. And, uh, you know, like Kevin said, uh, American Red Cross is probably the best place to send your money. Uh, you know it's always going to get to the right place. Chris, uh, we will be off for the holiday next week. Uh, I'll be making a bit of a road trip, and then in two weeks we'll be back. So uh, Merry Christmas to you and your family. Hope you all have a great one, and, and we'll talk to you soon, man. Same to you, buddy. Take care. He's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. This is the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. We'll talk to you soon.